Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Wow. This is uh, quite a turnout. Um, you obviously didn't read who was teaching, uh, or you're in the wrong space for the wrong meeting. But anyway, it's so good to see you all. Um, this is so encouraging. Um, because uh, it's been a long time since we've had our Wednesday night dinners. Um, it's been well over two years, uh, obviously, since COVID uh, had struck. Uh, we had to cease and desist all this uh, gathering and all the uh, meals and all the fellowship and whatnot. Uh, so how great that we can be back together again. Give, uh, give everybody a round of applause for that, huh? Yeah. This is so great. Um, and uh, I don't know if Kathy is nearby, but uh, Kathy... There she is. He's hiding. Give Kathy a big round of applause for this wonderful meal that we had. Yay. Wow. I know Kathy's been looking forward to this. She has. and I mean, seriously, she has. She's been... She loves doing this, so um, this is a labor of love for her, and so we're grateful for uh, all the work that she puts into providing these meals for us, and, um, and that's just one little part of her job. The rest of her job is distributing food through our food pantry, and she does an amazing job with that, so thank you. Uh, thank you, Kathy. And thank you to Mingy Brown. Mingy is the mastermind behind the Wednesday Night Life uh, series. So, yay, Mingy. Thank you. She's always here to tell me what to do, and um, I'm grateful for that and uh, for her um, shepherding this, uh, this part of our, of our ministry. Um, and I'm just looking forward to getting back into... Uh, the rhythm of the fall, which is uh, something that I, I didn't mind taking a break from back in uh, May or whenever that was, but uh, missing it enough that I'm delighted to be able to join with you in this new rhythm of the, of the church year and for this to um, hopefully be a time where we can continue uh, to grow in our uh, faith in Jesus Christ. Um, along those ends, I want to uh, say hello to our uh, online community that's watching perhaps even now live uh, and will be watching us over the course of the week. So behave, because some of you will be on film. Um, but uh, we're grateful for that because uh, that serves as a really important part of our small group ministry, as many of you I'm sure are uh, aware and are a part of. We have small groups that you have signed up for and are participating in, uh, and they meet all, all throughout the week. If you would like to learn more about joining a small group, uh, Mengi, should they be talking to you? Yes. yes. All right. Uh, and there she is serving people at the tables. Isn't that nice? Um, so make a point to talk to Mingi, and she would be glad to get you connected to a small group. Uh, we got tons of small groups that are using this teaching as the source of um, their conversation and their study, uh, for better or for worse. 
And um, we will also be providing for you every week, and uh, I believe even right now it's on our website, uh, the uh, questions for your small group discussion. So uh, hopefully each week prior to um, my teaching, I'll be providing questions for your small groups to use to have conversation around um, the study and the material that we will be uh, focused on. So you can find that on the website. I think Mingi will also make sure that those questions get to all the small group leaders. Um, so we, um, we will have them to you in one form or the, or the other, but those will be available. Oh, I thought I heard a question. Uh, I think that covers all of uh, the logistics. Uh, so before we get launched into our study of the Gospel of Mark, let us pray. Thanks, O oh God, for this chance that we have to be together. We are so grateful that uh, the fellowship of the church can be experienced in this gathering around our, these tables and enjoying some good food and uh, learning from your word. Uh, we are so thankful that we are at a point in... Um, in the history of uh, COVID, such that we feel the freedom to be able to gather and to enjoy uh, this time together. We have missed it so. And so we pray, O oh God, that as we rejoin with one another, that we would sense the presence of your Holy Spirit and that we will be encouraged by one another. And most of all, that we would be challenged by your word to uh, grow even more into the people that you've called us to be. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> last year, we uh, spent um, pretty much the fall talking about the, the nature and purpose of the Bible and spent a lot of time looking at the history of the Bible, how the Bible came together, um, and um, you know, kind of what kind of a document is it? What does it mean for it to be the Word of God? Uh, what do we mean when we say the Word of God? Um, and I'm going to do a quick little review of that in a moment. Uh, but what that ended up meaning for us is that we didn't get our study of the Gospel of Luke off the ground until uh, December. And now we planned that because uh, you know, Luke begins with Christmas, and um, well, Christmas in Luke's version, I should say. And so we thought it was best to start the study of Luke around Christmas time during December, Advent season. And then um, we decided, well, we would just plow through the rest of Luke over the course of the uh, winter and the spring, which meant we had to kind of uh, sandwich 24 chapters of Luke uh, into a, a fairly short period of time, which meant that we, um, we had to kind of take the express train through Luke. And we were kind of gobbling it up one chapter at a time. At the end, we, we were going through it two chapters at a time, uh, which was all fine and good. And I, uh, you know, it was great because we got the chance to cover the whole gospel. But it, it meant that we didn't get the opportunity to go deeper. Um, one, of the things, one of the great things about the Bible is uh, it's got so many levels to it. And, um, and certainly... One can uh, encounter the Bible at all different kinds of levels and, and take from it some amazing things. God's Word has a way of speaking to us at all different kinds of levels. Um, but, we want, um, but 
there's a, there can be lots lost when one doesn't take the deeper dive into the biblical material. And um, so this year, since we're starting with the Gospel of Mark at the end of August, last day of August, um, and Mark is only 16 chapters, it's much shorter than the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John, it affords us the opportunity to go deeper um, and to really kind of, you know, immerse ourselves into the, the various layers that we find in the Gospel of Mark. And I hope that that deep dive will be for you a, a profitable exercise um, because I do believe there's a lot that um, Mark, the Gospel writer, is trying to say to us if we just take the time to take a slower journey through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and what I, uh, and because of that, what I am really going to encourage you to do, and you know, this is really tough for Presbyterians to think about, um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna really, really encourage you to bring to this Bible study a Bible. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know I've, I've driven you over the edge. We're never coming back. He's asking us to bring a Bible. Um, <clears throat> God forbid to bring a Bible to Bible study. But Presbyterians, you know, they're not really Bible, you know, uh, toting people. You know, you don't see many Presbyterians walking to church with their Bibles, partly because we've got Bibles available for you. But um, uh, <clears throat> So I really would encourage you to uh, dig into your bookshelves and find there, maybe there's a Bible there, who knows. Um, and if not, I would certainly encourage you to uh, actually go out and get one, or even more easily, bring your phone with you, just look up, there's you know, several Bible apps that you can use and just read along with us. Um, that may be, you know, like I said, the most convenient way I'm using um, a translation called the New Revised Standard Version. It's the translation that we have in the sanctuary um, here at Church of the Palms. It's not the only translation. There are lots of different translations out there. there. If you remember from our class last year, we talked about translations and the challenges that uh, uh, the translators had to make their way through as they sought to bring the Word of God into um, the, uh, the current idioms and the, the current um, use of language. And so, you know, our English versions of the New Testament and the Bible are, um, they're just bountiful. And I'm not here to say you can't bring one, you can't bring the other. Uh, the New Revised Standard Version, along with uh, the New International Version and others, uh, do a really work really hard to try to wrestle the original language, uh, in this instance, in the Gospel of Mark, the Greek. Mark was written in Greek. To wrestle out of the original Greek what, was the, what would be the closest translation in English. And we'll talk a bit about that whole, that whole exercise and, and enterprise. Uh, but so I encourage you to... Uh, Find, a, find an English Bible, um, or you can bring a Greek Bible, too, if you want. And 
Good luck with that. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but uh, bring it with you if you, if you can. I'm, I'm not going to be taking attendance. I'm not going to, you know, check the, you know, Linda, did you bring your Bible? No. Um, not going to be doing that. Uh, and, and anyway, what you can really get away with, if you don't bring your Bible, you could just bring your phone and, just, and pretend like your Bible's on the phone. So, um, and I wouldn't never know the difference. But, uh, but that will allow you and I to kind of go deeper and you know, kind of look at the text a little bit more closely. And in, in, in the effort to, as I said, kind of um, do that um, exploration and that digging, that mining of the gold that I think uh, is, to be, is to be found there. Um, make sense? We're good? Okay. So... Uh, what I want to begin with tonight, and we're, we're really only going to get into the first little part of Mark uh, this evening, if I if um, I don't ramble too long. Those of you who have listened to me teach before know that I have a remarkable ability of rambling and going down rabbit trails and preaching and doing all sorts of things that... Um, people may not find necessary. So, uh, but what, we want, what I want to begin with is a, a quick little look at what are we looking at when we're seeking to study the Bible. The Bible, which is, um, comes from the word biblio, bibliography, meaning book, the book. Um, that's what Bible means. It's the book. And, and frankly, historically, it really has been the book. Uh, not to say that it you know, it, it uh, towers over any other book. There's certainly a lot, many wonderful, um, you know, scriptural traditions that have their own books. Um, but uh, the Bible, uh, you know, both in the Eastern world and the Western world has become, you know, the book. It's become the, you know, the, the significant book uh, that uh, brings together two spiritual traditions, Judaism and Christianity. And, and the history of the book has uh, been one in which we uh, understand um, the humility of God. And what do I mean by that? Um, <clears throat> in, our, in our review last year, we talked about um, the fact that uh, when we seek to understand God through the Bible, it needs to begin with the appreciation that we are, and I'm borrowing from my friend C.S. Lewis, see it only took me 15 minutes to mention C.S. Lewis in my first class, so um, forgive me, uh, but I'm borrowing this imagery from C.S. Lewis when he talks about the fact that when God chooses to reveal God's self to the world, it is like a three-dimensional cube seeking to uh, reveal itself to a one-dimensional pencil line. Uh, that, you know, a one-dimensional pencil line, you just get a piece of paper out, draw, draw a line, is seeking to understand what a three-dimensional reality is. And when you just think of it in those terms, uh, the, the, the idea that we are seeking to understand this three-dimensional world as this one-dimensional pencil line is, uh, 
is an enormous project, right? And, and frankly, one that is always going to be, to some degree or the other, elusive, right? A one pencil, a, a, you know, a one pencil line is never really going to quite grasp uh, a cube, right? It's going to get a little, you know, all of that line, and there's a line here, there's a line there, and, and we're going to get little echoes and shadows and, and hints of who this God is, but the, the, but the reality is we are the potter, but we are the pot trying to understand the potter. And, and pots can only understand so much, right? We can only understand so much. Um, and, and in part, we examine ourselves to understand who the potter is, and in part, we try to somehow hear what others have to say through their own experience of God in their lives, you know, the other pot's experiences of the potter. We listen to them in order to try to grasp who is this potter? What is this dimensional, three-dimensional being? Um, and, and so it's, uh, it's very humbling for God then to uh, take up the enterprise of revealing God's self. And, and, and if there is good news to start with, it is this. And it's, and it's a faith statement. It's a leap, leap, huge leap of faith for us to imagine that this majestic three-dimensional potter wishes to reveal itself, himself herself, whatever, self, wishes to reveal God's self to the creation. Because does God have to do that? Not necessarily. You know, there's all sorts of theories about what, what is God? Is God the clockmaker who sort of walks away from the clock and says, you're on your own and uh, tick as long as you can and good luck to you? Or does God choose to reveal God's self to his creation? And, uh, and it's a big leap of faith, and in fact, it's informed by our faith, and it's informed by, like, the story of the Gospel of Mark, that, that we, by faith, take the leap to say, wow, perhaps God does choose to reveal God's self to us. And what might that mean, and what can we, what can we receive from that? What can we take from that? I, I think, you know, as, um, you know, as I look around this room, I don't know all of you, you know, really, really well. But my guess is most of us, you know, kind of um, come to a study like this with some assumptions, kind of like, uh, you know, um, maybe some, even things we take for granted. Well, yeah, there's the Bible. Well, yeah. There's the Gospels. Well, yeah, you know, God came in the form of Jesus Christ. Well, yeah. Um, but one of the things that I want to invite us to do in this study is to stop the well, yeah, and, and take it for what it is. What is the Gospel of Mark? What is, what is Mark trying to do for us? And the, one of the big things that we have to sort of I think appreciate is that God is, Mark is trying to invite us into this revealing God. And part of the purpose of the writing of God, the gospel of Mark, 
is this wonderful enterprise of saying, let me, in the best way I know how, tell you a little bit about God that we know in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and that's not only quite a project, but it's quite a, an invitation that Mark gives us to sort of ex begin to explore who this God is revealed particularly in Jesus Christ. And that's a humbling thing. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, uh, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So do you see what's happening? This, the humility of this three-dimensional God into the person of Jesus who humbles himself to take on the form of a slave, who humbles himself even further to, be, to allow himself to be subjected to the treatment of, of those to whom he has come to bring good news. So what we're seeing in this effort to reveal God, to sort of understand this revealing God, is that God, first and foremost, is humble. God chooses to humble God's self in order for us to experience God. Now, the thing we have to be careful of when we are participating in that project is uh, getting too big for our britches. Um, Getting to the point where the, the pot, one pot says to the other pot, I know more about God than you do. You know, I, I, I figured this thing out. You know, it, all you need to know is, all you need to do is get answers from me, and you've got, pretty, you've got God pretty well figured out. Well, that's kind of silly, right? Pot telling one pot, the other, you know, it's like the, it's like with the, uh, pop calling the kettle black. Or, anyway, um, it's silly, right? Because we're all in the same boat trying to understand this, this revealing God who, whose trademark is humility. And, and that, that's another piece of the good news, that God loves us so much that God humbles God's self in order for us to have hints and tastes and experiences of this God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. And then to go another step further in this humility, God not only humbles himself in the person of Jesus, but then God further humbles God's self by then allowing the story to be given to us in order to be told. Huh. I mean, it's one thing for God to be humbled enough and to be the person of Jesus in flesh, God, man, together, it, that's one thing. But then at the end of the day, God leaves it us, to us to tell the story. Wow. Talk about vulnerability. Talk about risk. It's like, you know, entrusting your story to somebody else to tell. Okay. Who are you going to do that with? You know, is it your best friend who's going to tell your story? Is it, uh, is it the person who, you know, um, 
that uh, you spent the most time with in your life is going to tell you the story? Is it you know, somebody uh, a generation later who's going to tell the story about you? God humbles himself enough to say, not only am I going to be, the person, be in the person of Jesus Christ, but then Jesus dies, is raised from the dead, ascends to heaven, and says, okay, now you guys, you tell the story. And I got to somehow, and this is where I think the Holy Spirit comes in, God says, somehow that story has got to come forward through you. And, and who knows what that's going to look like, right? You know, the old, you know, you get that, you know, that exercise where, you know, there's an accident and you get eight people that are there, eyewitnesses to the accident, and what happens? Do you get eight perfect stories? Do you get eight exact stories? Of course not, because we're human, and we all have different perspectives. We've all seen different angles, and, and all of a sudden, we have what appears to be uh, a core of the story, but told in a variety of ways. And God humbles himself to let us sort of have that story and tell it in our way, um, which Throughout Scripture, we talked about the history of Scripture last year, that Scripture <clears throat> is this attempt to sort of bring the story forward from, from the, the stories of our origins to the stories of uh, the uh, captivity of the people of Israel, the stories of the Exodus, the stories of the monarchy in Israel and the prophets and so on and so forth. Those, all those stories began orally, right? They were just... It was you know sitting around the campfire telling another story, and uh, and those are those are great stories, right? They weren't on paper or papyrus or whatever. They were just told from one person to the next. And again, you know, if I told you a story and say, well, you, would you go? Would you tell? Just tell them that story I just told you. You say, oh, jeez. When was the story? Uh, did I get all the details right? No, I didn't get all the details right, but you get the gist of the story, you pass it on. And then the next person says, well, geez, and you pass it on. And, you know, my, my view of Scripture is that somehow the Holy Spirit is a part of that journey of the story. Um, what we, what we want to make sure we're not doing is, that somehow, is to somehow think that the Bible kind of dropped out of heaven and plop. And it was like written perfectly, and um, and there was some angel that wrote the whole thing, and you know gave it to one of us or gave it to a bunch of writers and said, you know, here, this is it. It didn't work that way. And but that's the that's what gets me so excited about the Bible is because God, it's just another, it's another illustration of how God chooses to humble God's self in order for us to experience God through one another, um, that, we, that we have the same mind among ourselves, Paul says, that was in Christ Jesus, who humbles himself. So we get to count on each other in our experiences of the resurrected Jesus. We get to count on each other in the telling of the story in order for the story to keep moving forward. Um, <clears throat> so, you with me so far? All right. We're a half hour into this. So I haven't gotten quite 
we hope, hope we'll get to the beginning of Mark. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> so when we look at the, uh, the nature of Scripture, when we look at how Scripture came together, and we, we talked last year about the, the various languages in which it was translated, um, how you know, there was original uh, Greek uh, and original Hebrew, and yet we don't have the original transcripts, so we're counting on you know, sometimes centuries of, um, of manuscripts that preceded the manuscripts that we had that were uh, faithfully transcribed by, you know, um, by, um, by people who that was their calling in life, which was to transcribe Scripture from, uh, one, um, from one manuscript to another. We have this journey of the Bible coming to the point where uh, we have now the New Testament. And the New Testament uh, is a collection of um, stories about Jesus, um, stories about the church, letters written to the community of Christians about what does it mean to live faithfully in, uh, in response to the death and resurrection and teaching of Jesus. And then it ends with this sort of science fiction, you know, kind of weird, uh, I'm not denigrating it, it's just, it's, when you read it, it's weird. Revelation's just weird. Um, but there's, but when you take the time to study it, it's amazing. It's, there's just incredible stuff for, for God to teach us in that. But so the New Testament is all these little books. Remember last year we talked about the Bible is a library. The Bible is, you walk into the library and you see all these books, there's 66 books, and you pick one up and then one doesn't really necessarily align with this one, but that's okay because that library reveals a fat, all the facets of the experience of God's people in uh, their journey with God. And so in uh, the New Testament, we talked about this last time when we looked at Luke, uh, we are blessed by four uh, Gospels. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, what, what does it mean to call them Gospels. But we have four Gospels. You know, one would have thought, you know, if it had kind of been left up to me or you, we would have said, no, 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 we need the definitive one. We have one Gospel, one story, and let's just make sure we got the one that's going to have all the facts straight. And uh, it's going to be told one way, and it's going to be definitive, it's going to be authoritative, and that's it. Well, those who put together the Bible decided that that wasn't the best way for us to understand who Jesus is. And they said, no, no, there, we need different. We need different stories about Jesus. We need, we need different attempts to sort of uh, to reveal the life of Jesus. So let's not have one, let's not have two, let's not have three, let's have four. And let's make them different. Let's, let's have different pieces of material in each one of them. Let's even give them different styles. Um, why? Because we're pencil lines trying to understand what I call the multifaceted diamond of God. A diamond is beautiful because it's faceted. It's got lots of dimensions to it. So the Gospels are the attempt by those who compiled the New Testament, I believe, to kind of 
invite us to explore this faceted God. And say, oh, wow. And we talked last year about the fact that, you know, thank God we had the Gospel of Luke, right? Thank God. If we didn't have the Gospel of Luke, we wouldn't have Christmas. Right? We wouldn't have the Bethlehem manger. We wouldn't have the shepherds. We wouldn't da, da, da. Um, wouldn't have the angels. You know, um, <clears throat> so thank God we have Luke. Thank God we have Matthew. If we didn't have Matthew, we wouldn't have the Sermon on the Mount. Um, thank God we have John. You know, if we didn't have John, we wouldn't have those. We, we would never, if we didn't have John, we would never, ever say anything about being born again. Interesting, yeah. So, uh, wow, so probably good that we got John in there. You know, of course, born again is one of those phrases that gets misused a million times over, but that's okay. So, uh, and then we have Mark. And um, what we can figure out when we're looking at the Gospel of Mark, well, before we get to the Gospel of Mark, uh, aren't you waiting? But you can't wait till we get to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, but, you know, I'm kind of taking this thing, you know, from big to, to, to smaller. Um, <clears throat> the Gospels are the effort on the part of the writers to um, tell us the story of Jesus. Um, tell us the good news of the life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. What the Gospels are not... They are not um, history books. They, are, they make no attempt to uh, tell us the story of Jesus chronologically. Like, okay, Jesus was born here, and then you know, three days later, this happened to Jesus, and then three days later, this happened to Jesus, and you know, three days later, this is what Jesus said. Um, there, is, there is a feel for, there's a, there's a flavor of that in the Gospels, but Bottom line is, what does the word gospel mean? Hmm? Good news, right? Euangelion is the Greek word. Whoops. And I'm terrible. Um, how are you even going to read that? Anyway, um, euangelion is the Greek word, which means gospel. Uh, you get from euangelion, you get angel, the deliverer of the good news. You get evangel, which is the root word for evangelism, which is all about what do angels come to tell us? They come to tell us good news. They are herald of the good tidings, right? Uh, evangelism is the effort to tell the good news. Um, you know, that has become a more problematic term because it's gotten turned into evangelical which, you know, has its own baggage these days in the 21st century, um, unfortunately, because in one sense we're all supposed to be evangelical, right? Because we're all being given the story to tell. We all are sort of little angels in the world who are there to deliver the good news, the good tidings. Um, but the good news is, uh, is ultimately trying to tell us what God is doing. That God is up to something, and God is up to something in the person of Jesus Christ. It would be like me saying, many of you know I have a very, I had a very 
close and good relationship with my father, and, and he was a very important person in my life. If somebody told me, tell me about your father, um, I could choose to say this. I could say, well, he was born on June 5th, uh, January 5th, 2000, and, uh, 2000, yeah. <laughs> 1921, uh, he was born in St. Louis, Missouri. He lived there for uh, X amount of years. He went to the elementary school here. He went to da, da 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 I could tell you a history. I could give you a chronology of my dad's life. Or, if you were wanting to hear the good news about my father, I would tell you about all those, all those stories of how he shaped my life. The bad of it, the good of it. But I could tell you story after story. You've heard me tell some of the stories of my father and my sermons. And it would have nothing to do with dates. It would have nothing to do with history. It would have nothing. I mean, they were historical events, but they were there for the purposes of telling the good news, telling the story about my dad, right? Well, the Gospels are in that vein. The Gospels are here to say, let us tell you some stories about Jesus. In the early church, Acts 2, verse 42, it talks about what, what did the church do, and it says that they listened, to the, they listened to the testimony of the apostles. That was their teaching. And you can count on it that the teaching of the apostles was, let me tell you some stories about Jesus. And we hung out with a guy for three years. And, and, and we did this, and we did that, and we did this. They didn't have a New Testament to open up and say, well, now let's read from the Gospel of Mark. Because what we, what we can surmise is the Gospels um, were some of the later literature that's in the New Testament. Um, we estimate that um, the... And, and one, more, one more point. I'm going to get to Mark. I'll put... We estimate that uh, the, 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 there are four Gospels, and I'm going to use this term probably a lot. Um, there are the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the, anyone know this? Synoptics. Oh, scholars? <laughs> Biblical scholars? They, I'm impressed. Synoptic Gospels. Uh, synoptic uh, is the root word for synopsis. So they are, they are stories that give us a synopsis of the, of the person, life, and ministry of Jesus. And uh, synopsis, in another sense, means um, held together. So the, the synoptic gospels are very similar, and we'll explain why in a minute, um, and they are laid side by side, and, and the thinking is that in collectively looking at the gospels, we get a, a greater sense of um, of the life, person, and ministry of Jesus. The Gospel of John, the fourth of the four Gospels, is told in such a different way and has a whole different agenda in terms of trying to give us a, a glimpse of who Jesus is. And that's why it's kind of set aside as a whole different project in helping us to understand who Jesus was. It's filled with a lot of the teachings of Jesus. It's filled with lots of individual counter, encounters that Jesus has with people. But they are, uh, but it's a different, it's a different gospel, and you know maybe we'll get to that gospel um, sometime before Jesus returns. We'll see. Maybe we'll get to Mark sometimes before Jesus returns. So um, real quickly, uh, Mark is the shortest of the gospels, and what scholars believe 
is that it was the first of the Gospels. And, um, and largely because the, the narrative stream of Mark is replicated to a large degree, not totally, but to a large degree in Matthew and Luke. And so what people believe, and I think I talked about this last year when we looked at Luke, is that uh, Mark is the first of the Gospels uh, that was written, and that it was a source material for the writing of Matthew and the writing of Luke. Um, it is also believed that Matthew and Luke likely had other source material to use to compose their, uh, their gospel. Um, <clears throat> because the bottom line is, each of these gospel writers were more compilers than they were original writers, meaning they, their main job was to collect the stories, to collect the community's testimony, to, to hear what people were had had experienced with Jesus or had heard about the experiences of Jesus. And they began to collect those, write them down, and then at some point in time, each of these gospel writers began to write their account of the life, person, and ministry of Jesus. And so uh, Mark, likely, was the first of these writers uh, and was really the trailblazer when it came to the the, um, the life and the telling the life and ministry of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Paul's letters actually likely precede any of the Gospels. That Paul was writing in time, in the moment, in his ministry, letters to the churches, trying to give them an understanding as to uh, what does it really mean for us to follow this crucified and risen Savior. And what does it mean for us to be now the story givers? What does it mean for us now to live like Jesus lived? He's, he's trying to help the early church to understand that. So that's why his, uh, and, and you know, Paul was not a contemporary with Jesus, meaning he didn't know Jesus. But uh, in the wake, you know, shortly in the wake of Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul comes on the scene, has his Damascus Road experience, begins then to shepherd the churches that are being formed across the Roman Empire and begins writing letters. And all these take place even before we have a gospel, which explains why when Paul writes his letters, he talks very little about the teaching of Jesus. He's, he's most interested in what happened on the cross and what happened in the empty tomb. And he thinks that that is the, the pivotal moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, in a very real sense, the Gospels also say that too. But what the Gospels also include is this, are these, all these stories about Jesus. You know, Jesus did this, Jesus, did, Jesus said this, Jesus said that. But Paul doesn't pay any attention to that. Um, and, and so thank God we've got Gospels because they give us the fuller picture of who Jesus was. Albeit a little bit different from each other, they, they give us this wonderful story, these wonderful accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus that are supposed to be shaping us. Where did Mark get these from? Was he an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus? Most scholars don't believe that he was. Um, was he a companion to those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus? Many scholars think that perhaps he was. Other scholars think, eh, we're not too sure. Um, uh, was, uh, there's a theory that Mark 
was a companion of the Apostle Peter in Rome, and that he sat with Peter in Peter's prison and took down all these stories, and that the Mark's Gospel was pretty much the testimony of the Apostle Peter. Um, there are many that ascribe to that theory, and there are many that don't. I'm, I'm not here really to, you know, to name it one or the other. I don't know enough to be able to say I land here or I land there. But suffice it to say that Mark, again, is a compiler. He's trying to tell us, kind of gather up these stories of Jesus. And then what we'll learn is he's very, very methodical in how he tells the story. That the story is going to be told in a certain way because there is a plot to the story. It's not just a bunch of stories. There is a plot that runs through this. And uh, when, we're, when we study the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be learning about this plot. Don't you love a story with a good plot? I mean, oh, you know, I mean, you know in COVID, we were all like live, we we're all streaming all these stories, right? And, and there's nothing like a really good plot, you know, and, and there's nothing like a good mystery and a good drama and a good, like, where is this going? Um, well, in many respects, when Mark tells his story, he's got a plot in mind because he has been informed through the testimony of, of the church that there is a plot. And I, some people got to go for um, choir practice. It's not that they're... Um, that's why you're going, right, Marianne? Okay, I just... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to save myself here. So, yeah. And, and that may be your excuse to say, well, they don't know that I'm not in the choir, so I'm going to leave now, too. Um, Fifteen more minutes, folks. <clears throat> So, uh, so we don't know for sure, and we're not positive as to where it was written, but what we believe in each of these Gospels is that the Gospels were written likely for a particular community of people, that there was a, there were, you know, the, the, the church began to, you know, grow and, and move its way into different parts of the uh, Roman Empire in different cities, and people gathered together in these small communities, likely house churches, and, um, and, and it was likely that Mark was a one of, in one of these community of Christians. Some believe that he was in Antioch, which was north of Israel, sort of in the bend where Turkey kind of bends uh, going to the west. Um, some believe that maybe he stayed in Galilee. Others believe that he wrote from Rome. But, that, uh, but he was doing this for the purposes of his community to say, here, I want to write this story so that we all have a story about Jesus that we can use as a source for our fellowship together. Um, and, uh, and likely, and this is another homework assignment coming up here, um, and likely Mark's got, well not likely, it's for certain that Mark's gospel was meant to be heard, not read. Because likely, um, the church, uh, many of those who are part of the church were illiterate. And so the gospel was intended to be able to be spoken. And what's wonderful about Mark is that it is a, it's a gospel that you can actually sit down in one sitting and listen to. Um, and that's one of the things I would encourage you to do is uh, find uh, uh, a couple of hours and uh, just listen to the story of Jesus as, um, as given to us in the Gospel of Mark. 
There are, you can do that with somebody in your home. Say, you sit down and say, read me Mark. Um, you know, it's tiresome, but it's worth, you can do it. Or there's some great, um, there's some great renditions of Mark's gospel. Uh, Alec McCowan was famous on Broadway for, for years uh, in doing the gospel of Mark on Broadway. And there are recordings of that. If you go on Amazon, you can find, you can find them. Uh, a guy named Max McLean, uh, who uh, has, is actually going to be here in, uh, in Tampa in October doing a thing about C.S. Lewis, he's actually done a um, um, performance of the Gospel of Mark uh, that lasts about 90 minutes or so. And, and there are others. But what I encourage you to do, Google, and, uh, and take that two hours and just sit and listen to the story because that will get you back to the experience likely of the early church who just sat and listened to somebody tell the story of Mark. And you pick up things in just doing that um, and just kind of hearing the whole story in its entirety. But that's, uh, that, in many respects, is what um, Mark was up to, writing a story in order for it to be told to his people. Now, <clears throat> um, the interesting thing about Mark's gospel, historically, and I'll, I'll come back to this, and, um, because I want to jump into the first few verses of Mark, is uh, when it was written. And again, scholars believe in terms of uh, the, the time it probably took for stories to kind of be amassed over time. Uh, and the fact that Paul doesn't include stories of Jesus in his letters, so there, there probably needed to be some time between the end of Paul's ministry and the beginning of Mark's gospel. Um, and and the furthermore, the later gospels were probably written in 70, 80, 90, um, what we call common era, CE or AD. It's likely that Mark was written last year. I assign everyone, somebody each week to track the marker because I always lose the marker. So um, remind me next week that I could assign somebody to track the marker, because I spend 15 minutes looking for the marker. It's likely that Mark was written somewhere between 65 and 75 CE, or AD. Can anybody tell me what major historical thing occurred between or things occurred between 65 and 75 CE. Huh? Rome was destroyed. Rome was destroyed? No. Jerusalem was destroyed. Yep. So perhaps the, one of the most significant things that's, taken, that's happened in Jewish history and subsequent to in Christian history was... Um, this period of time that included the Jewish, what's called the Jewish Revolt, followed by the, um, the, the sack and destruction of Jerusalem. Um, we all know that you know, uh, Palestine was occupied by Rome. Um, it was run by you know, Roman um, prelates um, and governors. It was run by Roman kings, many of whom were really nasty. King Herod was probably the nastiest of them all. King Herod, interestingly enough, did what? Built the temple. 
this heathen, pagan, evil king uh, gives this gift, who's half Jewish, gives this gift to the Jews by building what was a wonder of the world, this incredible temple. And it really was one of the wonders of the world. Um, But uh, because the Jews were occupied by Rome, uh, as you can only imagine, um, when you're occupied by a foreign power, it doesn't take a whole long time for there to be the... um, the, the uprising of those who no longer want to be occupied. And so what happens is that over time, you know, we imagine that Jesus was, uh, his death and resurrection was around 30 CE, somewhere thereabouts. And then over this, over certainly during the life of Jesus and beyond, all the way to the point of 65, this boiling pot was continuing to boil and boil and boil the the people of Israel were not happy with Rome occupying them, and they began to show it, and they began to, uh, they began to demonstrate, and they began to have their own little uprisings through the, through the area of Palestine, including Jerusalem. Well, it didn't take long for Rome, for Rome to say, well, we'll have none of that. So in 65, 66, 67, Rome begins to clamp down, and they clamp down. Not only do they desecrate the temple, not only do they begin to, um, to tear down the walls of Jerusalem, um, they begin to, um, they begin to you know, destroy the, the Jewish nation for, for, for uh, a significant degree. And, um, and so now the temple is collapsing. Jews are, you know, the people of Israel are running to the hills and this is where we get that great story of Masada, because Jerusalem has collapsed, and the, and the people of Israel flee, many of them into the desert, many of them occupy Herod's fortress uh, called Masada, and they, um, and they remain there until Rome lays siege upon them, and they are destroyed. So, so what's, in my mind, interesting about all this is that Mark is writing the good news about Jesus while all hell is breaking loose. And I'm going to get to the first verse of Mark's gospel here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's just oh, so much, so much to talk about. So when we get to the Mark's gospel... Jerusalem is falling. The walls are collapsing. The temple is being desecrated. Um, The temple is being destroyed right in front of everybody. Jews, fellow citizens, are being carted off. There is, is, you know, um, pillaging going on every day. And Mark sits down and begins his gospel and says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's breathtaking. You know, especially when we have this proclivity on the part of being human to look at our present history 
and say, oh boy, I mean, has it gotten worse than this? You know, could things get worse than this? You know, um, I don't know if we'll ever, th- you know, if, if things will ever be good again. Will there be another, you know, you know, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the midst of the world falling apart, Mark gives us this, the beginnings of the good news. The euangelion, the evangel, the let me tell you the good story, the good news of the person of Jesus Christ. Because it is the good news that is here to address the present day. And, and we have this, again, this um, arrogance sometimes, historically, of thinking, well, I mean, hello, can, how can that address today's world? Because today's world is so complicated. Today's world is so, you know, um, terrible. Today's world's got all these issues and so on and so forth. The temple's fallen. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, the interesting discovery that was made years and years ago in western Turkey, in a, a little town called, um, make sure I get this right, Priyeni, uh, Priyeni, Priyeni, was uh, uh, an inscription that, um, that was in one of the temples there in Priyeni. And it was an inscription that was there to give um, a, a honor to Caesar Augustus. Remember the Christmas story on Luke? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. So Caesar Augustus, and this is inscription in this, um, in this uh, temple that speaks of Caesar Augustus, and it goes like this. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set a most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news. Wow. The beginning of the good news for the world that came by reason of him. So this good news that Mark is going to tell us about, while the world is falling apart, while Caesar is up in his, you know, up in Rome, uh, claiming to be God, what we want to begin with is the fact that the gospel of Mark is a subversive story. It is, it is seeking to undermine the present order. This good news is trying to turn the world entirely upside down. And when we can put ourselves into that mindset and, and, and begin to read the Gospel of Mark and hear in it the beginnings of the good news of Jesus Christ um, and, and understand that it, it's seeking to be subversive in the world, it's seeking to turn the world upside down, not just the world of 
65 to 75 AD. But the world in all its history, and this is where you may not like this, and is seeking to subvert you. If I just lost the crowd, you know, if I, if I, are you going to come back next week? It's seeking to subvert you. In fact, one of the things that Mark is going to keep asking as we make our way through this gospel, in, in so many words, not directly, but in so many words, Paul's going to keep asking, uh, I keep saying Paul, Mark's going to be asking us, are you with Jesus or are you against him? And, um, and that's, a, that's a, a, a very threatening question to entertain. Because we all want to think we're like, with Jesus. Yeah, that's why I'm here. You know, I'm a member of the church. I ate dinner here. You know, doggone it. I'm with Jesus. Well, when we begin to read Mark's gospel, that question keeps coming up over and over again. Are you an opponent of Jesus or are you following Jesus? And that's exciting to wonder, um, especially next week as we get into John the Baptist and his um, proclaiming and preparing the way for the Lord that we uh, will read. So next, for next week, I would love for you to read the gospel, well, I'd love for you to hear the gospel of Mark in its entirety if you can. Certainly read through the first chapter of Mark. Um, and, and for those of you who are online and anticipating your discussion with your small groups, because I didn't get to where I was hoping to go, um, the questions are uh, really embedded in the first chapter, the first eight verses of Mark. So uh, you want to make sure to read that so that um, it can help to inform your response to the questions that um, I've asked you to look at. So, and you're saying, oh boy, it took us an hour to get to verse one. <laughs> How long will this go? I promise you uh, the introduction was uh, hopefully helpful for you. And as we begin to make our journey, well, things will speed up a little bit and we will uh, really begin to dig, or dig deeper into, uh, into the text itself. So, uh, again, I'm sorry I didn't leave time for any questions, um, but I'll make sure to try to do that. But I really wanted to make sure I got through what I got through tonight. So, let me pray for us. Thank you, O oh God, for your, um, your yearning to be revealed, your yearning to reveal yourself to us, your humility and being vulnerable to us in the person of Jesus and in the text of our stories. And pray, O oh God, that uh, we may, uh, by your Holy Spirit, come to gain those uh, echoes and hints of who you are, that we may become as your pots more and more like the potter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.